Chapter 8 of Philo Gubb, Correspondence School Detective. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Carl. Philo Gubb, Correspondence School Detective by Ellis Parker Butler. The Dragon's Eye. It was with great pleasure that Mr. Gubb carried $490 to Mr. Meadowbrook and his intended father-in-law received him quite graciously. "'This is more like it, Gubb,' he said. "'Keep the money coming right along, and you'll find I'm a good friend and a faithful one.' "'I aim to do so to the best of my ability,' said Mr. Gubb, delighted to find Mr. Meadowbrook in a good humor. "'I hope to get the $11,260 I owe you paid up.' "'Where do you get that?' asked Mr. Meadowbrook. "'You owe me $12,000, Gubb.' It was eleven thousand seven hundred and fifty, said Mr. Gubb, and this here payment of four hundred and ninety. Ah, said Mr. Meadowbrook, but the utterly hopeless gold mine has declared a dividend. But, ventured Mr. Gubb timidly, I thought dividends was money that came to the owner of the stock. Often so, said Mr. Meadowbrook. I may say not infrequently so. But in this case, it was a compound 10% reversible dividend, cumulative and retroactive, payable to the prior owners of the stock on account of the second mortgage debenture wing. In such a case, he explained, unless the priority is waived by the party of the first part, you have to pay it to me. Oh, said Mr. Gubb. Luckily, said Mr. Meadowbrook, I was able to prevail upon the registrar of the company to make the dividend only 10 cumulative percents instead of eleven retroactive geometrical percents or you would now owe me thirteen thousand dollars well i'm sure i'm much obliged to you said mr gubb with sincere gratitude i appreciate your kindness of goodwill most greatly he stood for a minute or two uneasily while mr meadowbrook frowned like a great financier burdened with cares i don't suppose said mr gubb when he had screwed up his courage you have had no telegraphic communications from Miss Cirilla. Why, yes, I have, said Mr. Meadowbrook, taking a telegram from his pocket, and it will only cost you one dollar to read it. I paid two dollars. Mr. Gubb was very glad to pay the small sum, and he eagerly devoured the telegram, which read, Oh, be joyful. Have given up all meat diet. Have given up beef, pork, lamb, mutton, veal, chicken, pig's feet, Bacon, hash, corned beef, venison, bear steak, frog's legs, possum, and fried snails. Weigh only 940 pounds. Affectionate thoughts to little Gubby. I wish, said Mr. Gubb wistfully when he read the message, that Miss Cirilla would be here present this week in Riverbank whilst the carnival is going on. She would draw a big crowd at 25 cents admission, said Mr. Meadowbrook. I was thinking how pleasantly nice it would be for her to enjoy the festivities of the occasion, said Mr. Gubb, but this was not quite true. What he wished was that she could be present to see him in the handsome disguise he had obtained for his work as official detective of the carnival, in which he was now about to don. This, the second day of the third Riverbank Carnival, opened with a sun hot enough to frizzle bacon, and the ladies in charge of the lemonade, ice cream, and ice cream cones foods were pleased while the committee from Riverbank Lodge P&G-M number 788, selling boiled frankfurters, known as hot dogs, groaned. It was no day for hot food, but it was grand carnival weather. 
The grounds opened at 1.30, and the amateur circus began at 2.30. But Philo Gubb, the detective, was on the grounds in full regalia by 10 o'clock in the morning. Though some awful error on the part of the Chicago costumer, Philo Gubb's regalia had not arrived on time for the first day of the carnival, so he had absented himself rather than let the crooks and thieves who were supposed to swarm the grounds have an opportunity to become acquainted with his appearance, and thus be put on their guard against the famous correspondence school detective. When the Committee on Organization of the Third Carnival and Circus for the Benefit of the Riverbank Free Hospital held its first public mass meeting in Wilcox Hall, Philo Gubb had been there. Like all the rest of Riverbank, he was willing to assist the good cause in any way he could, and he had meant to donate his services as official paper hanger, but a grander opportunity offered. Mr. Beach, the chairman of the Committee on Peanuts and Police Protection, offered Mr. Gubb the position of official detective. Mr. Gubb accepted eagerly. During the weeks of preparation for the carnival, a thousand plans for getting the better of pickpockets and other crooks passed through Philo Gubb's mind. He finally decided to disguise himself as Alibaba. He had a slight recollection that Alibaba had something to do with forty thieves. It seemed inappropriate. Alias. His disguise was ordered from the supply department of the Rising Sun Detective Agency, where he bought all his disguises. It consisted of a tall conical cap spangled with stars, a sort of red Mother Hubbard gown bespattered with black crescents, a small metal tube, and a wand. With the metal tube came several hundred sheets of apparently blank paper, but when these were rolled into cylinders and inserted in the metal tube for half a minute, the characters appeared on the sheets, each child with the magic tube, and so could Philo Gubb. It was not until the second day that Mr. Beach thought of Mr. Gubb at all. Then, Mrs. Filippetti, daughter-in-law of General Filippetti, who was ambassador to Siberia in 1867, asked for Mr. Gubb. Mrs. Filippetti was in charge of the Hot Waffles booth, number 13, aided by seventeen ladies of the highest society Riverbank could boast, and they served hot waffles with their own fair hands to all who chose to buy. The cooking of the waffles, being a warm task in late June, had been turned over to three colored women, hired for the occasion, and to complete the ensemble and make things perfectly apropos. Two of Mrs. Filippetti's favorite words, the three colored women had been dressed as Turkish slaves, while Mrs. Filippetti and her aides dressed as beauties of the harem. To judge by Mrs. Filippetti's costume, the beauties of the harem were expensive to clothe. She had more silk, gold lace, and tinsel strung upon her ample form than would set a theatrical costumer up in business. But the star feature of her costume was her turban. It was a gorgeous creation and would have been a comfortable piece of headgear in midwinter, though slightly heating for a hot June day. But it came near being the talk of the carnival, for in the center of the front, just above her forehead, Mrs. Filippetti had pinned the celebrated brooch containing the dragon's eye, the priceless ruby given to old General Filippetti by the Dugosh of Zind, after the old diplomat had saved the worthless life of the old reprobate by appealing to the vice-regent of Siberia in his behalf. The dragon's eye was about the size of a lemon, and weighed nearly as much as a pound of creamy butter, so it required considerable turban to make it apropos and complete its ensemble. 
pinned on her shelf-like chest, Mrs. Fillipetti wore a small mirror somewhat smaller than a tea-saucer. By tipping the outer edge of the mirror upward and glancing down into it, Mrs. Fillipetti had a good view of the entire façade of her turban reflected in the mirror, and she was thus able to keep an eye on the dragon's eye. "'Oh, Mr. Beach!' cried Mrs. Fillipetti, stopping him as he was bustling past a group. "'Do you know where Mr. Gubb is?' "'Gubb, Gubb,' said Mr. Beach. "'Oh, that old paper-hanger detective fellow.' "'No, I don't know where he is. Why?' "'It's gone! The dragon's eye is gone!' moaned Mrs. Fillipetti. Mr. Beach, though greatly concerned, tried to maintain his composure. Mrs. Fillipetti explained that she had removed her turban and placed it under a chair at the back of the booth. A little later she had noticed that the turban, with its priceless dragon's eye, was gone. "'Now this, now, was not wholly unexpected,' Beach said. "'It's a now unfortunate thing.' but it's the sort of thing that happens now mrs Fillipetti, just let me beg you not to say anything about it to anybody and i'll have detective gubb get right on the case the matter is in my hands rest easy we will attend to it i i hate to lose the dragon's eye said mrs Fillipetti, wiping her eyes but the worst is to have my turban stolen mr beach i will give one hundred dollars to whoever returns the dragon's eye to me the ensemble of my costume is ruined i haven't anything else apropos to wear on my head you look just fine as you are said mr beach but if you want something to wear i can get a turkish hat at the paper hat booth for twenty-five cents thank you said mrs Fillipetti scornfully i don't wear twenty-five cent hats within twenty minutes the boy scouts who were acting as aides to the executive committee had tacked in ten prominent places ten hastily daubed placards that read philo gubb please report at executive booth beach chairman police committee and the members of the board of managers had singly and by roundabout routes approached the scene of the theft and had studied it to the left of mrs Filippetti's booth was the ethiopian dip here some thirty feet back from a counter and shielded by a net a negro sat on an elevated perch just over a canvas tub full of water in front of the net was a small target and if a patron of the game hit the target with a baseball the negro suddenly and unexpectedly dropped into the tub of water the price was three throws for five cents as riverbank had some remarkably clever baseball throwers the ethiopian was dipped quite frequently as the water was cold and such a bath an unusual luxury for riverbank ethiopians no one ethiopian cared to be dipped very often in succession therefore the committee of seven of the exempt firemen's association which had the dip in charge had arranged for a quick change of ethiopians and while one sat on the perch to be dipped three others lolled in bathing costumes just back of mrs Fillipetti's booth turbine said one of them we ain't seen no turbine we ain't seen nothing we ain't done nothing but sit here and play craps but you were here said mr beach yes we was here said the blackest negro we was right here all the time there ain't been no turbine took from nowheres whilst we was here neither there ain't been nobody back here but us and we's been here all the time well perhaps you can tell how this board got pried loose if you were here all the time said mr beach it wasn't pried loose 
to be yellow negro it got kicked loose from the hinside i know that much anyways i seen that cut i seen that bull bulge out and bulge out and bulge out twelve hit and burst out and there ain't no turbine come out another no sir mr beach went away the detective business was not his business he specialized in coal and not in crime but in going he passed by mrs Philippetti's booth and spoke to her it will be all right he said reassuringly we are on the track oh thank you said mrs Philippetti, who had completed the a propriety of her ensemble by wrapping a green silk handkerchief around her head i hope to return the turban and the jewels some time to-morrow said mr beach bluffing bravely but philo gubb did not heed the notices posted to call him to the executive booth the evening passed and he did not appear and mr beach on his way home stopped at the police station it was after midnight but the chief of police whittaker was still on duty he never slept during the carnival Mr. Beach explained the loss of the turpin in the dragon's eye, and early the next morning the chief himself took up the hunt. By three o'clock in the afternoon he had discovered several things. He discovered that the yellow man who claimed to see the board pushed out from the inside was the husband of one of the waffle cooks in Mrs. Filippetti's booth. He learned that the yellow man had been in jail. He learned that for a few minutes the yellow negro had been alone behind the waffle booth. The chief thereupon arrested the yellow negro as he led the negro from the grounds by the back way in order to cause as little commotion as possible he brushed by a strange creature dressed as a wizard who was standing by the rear entrance droning tell your fortune ten cents tell your fortune ten cents the wizard was tall and thin and wore a long white beard a sort of mother hubbard gown and a pointed cap as the chief passed with his prisoner the wizard turned his eyes on the two and then droned on it was philo gubb the paper hanging detective on the job philo gubb having received his costume had come to the carnival ground the back way he had wandered about the grounds peeking and peering seeking malefactors unsuccessfully he felt the whole weight of the carnival on his shoulders when he suspected a youth he followed him at a safe distance stopped when he stopped going on when he went on he was so intent on trailing and shadowing that he did not even notice the placards calling him to the executive booth every few minutes he had to stop and tell a fortune with the magic tooth so far he had collected two dollars and sixty cents the chief with his prisoner walking quietly by his side to avoid unpleasant commotion and otherwise orderly crowd had just passed the wizard when he heard voices that made him look back there he is said one voice kick him off the grounds here you said another voice you've got to get out of here and you've got to give up the money you've taken quick now we don't allow any professionals on these grounds the voices were those of harry p cross officer of the day for this day of the carnival and sam green jr vice chairman of police and they were speaking to the wizard shh said the wizard in a mysterious voice it's all right don't make a fuss it's all right let me kick him off the ground said mr cross all i want is a chance to kick him off the ground the cheap professional fakir sneaking in here to get money that ought to go to the hospital let me kick now wait said mr green irritably we want to make him disgorge first don't we just keep your head on cross let me handle this it's all right don't make a fuss whispered the wizard i belong here you belong nowhere said mr cross you belong here indeed why you couldn't tell that to a baby i guess not telling fortunes and putting cash in your pocket 
Don't the ladies' aid of Second Baptist Church have exclusive fortune-telling privilege? Didn't they put us on to you? The chief turned back. What's up? he asked. Professional, said Mr. Green. Some Chicago grafter trying to make money out of our show. I'm all right, I tell you, said Violet earnestly. I'm no crook. You see Beach, ask Beach. Have Beach come here. Mr. Cross looked at Mr. Green. You mean you fixed it with Beach so you could tell fortunes here? asked Mr. Cross. Yes, that's what I mean, said Violet Gubb. You get Beach. Get Beach, said Mr. Green. Beach will throw him out. I'll watch him, said the chief. If he tries to move, I'll club him. Mr. Cross and Mr. Green hurried away, and the chief dangled his club meaningly. The yellow man, who had been standing awaiting the end of the controversy, seated himself on the grass and leaned back against a tree. Milo Gubb, as evidence that he did not mean to run, also seated himself and leaned back against the same tree. The chief stood a short distance away, his eyes keenly on them. How about it, Chicago man? asked the yellow man in a low tone, bending down to pick up a photograph. Can you help a fellow out? How? asked Milo Gubb. I got in trouble, said the yellow man. I'm going to get hit in the neck if someone don't help me out pretty mighty quick. If I hand you some, is you going to take it? Sure, said Milo Gubb. Grab it, whispered the old man, and his hand slid the dragon's eye into the hand of Milo Gubb. The chief moved nearer. I guess they let me go when they get me to the caboose, said the old man in a louder voice, because I ain't done nothing no how. They'll let you go when we get that ruby, said the chief meaningly. And if we can prove it on you, you go to the pen. Mr. Cross and Mr. Green returned with Mr. Beach. There he is, said Mr. Cross, pointing to the wizard Gubb. Never saw him in my life, said Mr. Beach. Now then, what is this now? What's this story you... The paper-hanging detective arose and leaned close to Mr. Beach's ear. He whispered three words, and Mr. Beach's attitude changed entirely. Oh, he said, I wondered where... Now, all right. It's all right, it's all right, Cross, all right, Green, all right, Chief. Then he turned to Gubb. We've been wanting you, Detective. Put placards up for you. Now, listen, Mrs. Filippetti had a turban stolen from her poop, and that infernal ton and a half or so of ruby was on it. The dragon's eye, she calls it. Well, that turban was stolen. I am quite well acquainted with that fact, said Philo Gubb. Well, why don't you hunt for it, then? asked Mr. Beach crossly. I thought you were going to be of some use, fooling around here with your silly ten-cent fortune-telling. How in the time of your life, while well, all of us are worrying about that dragon's eye, why don't you hunt for it? It ain't hardly necessary to engage in detective exertions at the present moment on account of that ruby, said Philo Gubb slowly. Because when I want it, all I got to do is consult the magic detective tube. You're crazy, said Beach. You're crazy as a loon. The usual price for consulting the oracle is ten cents, said Philo Gubb. But I'll make a special exception out of this time. He put the end of the magic tube to his ear and listened. The genie of the tube says, I've got the dragon's eye into my pocket. And if you ask this yellow negro black man, he'll tell you where the turban is at. Honest, exclaimed Mr. Beach. Gubb, you're a wonder. The negro, thus trapped, told where he'd hidden the turban, and in a few minutes Mr. Beach, Mr. Cross, and Mr. Green returned with Mrs. Filippetti, on whose head again towered the turban with the dragon's eye gleaming in it, making her ensemble thoroughly apropos. Gub, said Mr. Beach, I want Mrs. Filippetti to meet you. You certainly are a wizard. 
yes indeed said mrs Philippetti. the wizardry of your whole ensemble is completely apropos to your detective ability End of chapter eight the dragon's eye